Hello again to everyone. Thankful for you being here with us to listen again. We are thankful the Lord's allowed us this opportunity. Uh, we're certainly grateful to Him for all things. Without Him, uh, we would most likely already be in hell today. But we're thankful for His salvation of our sinful and wicked soul. Um, if If you're here with us today, and you've not listened to part one, this is going to be part two of a three-part Bible study where really we build each time on what we previously looked at. So if you've not listened to the first part of this study, I highly would recommend you go back and listen. It'll help you to follow along better as we get into this. Uh, that The first part of this study was called Is Mankind Completely Corrupt or a Free Moral Agent? And we're going to build on that study into what we cover today. Is salvation a free choice or a divinely influenced choice? And in the same manner I would like to study this topic. I'll do everything I can to keep any whatsoever opinion out of the way and let's only pull out of the Bible some of these verses that are plain and let's see what the Bible would say about it. So if you have listened to the previous, if not, I strongly recommend go back and listen to the first one. Um, It'll help you immensely. And so I'm going to assume from here on, everybody listening to me has heard the first part of this study. And we found mankind by the scripture to be outwardly wicked and inwardly corrupt, unwilling to seek after God, unable to change himself, and under the power and influence of the devil. So if that is where fallen mankind is at, then does he have the agency, the free agency, to choose God and live? By the scripture, I, I do not know how you could come to that conclusion by the scripture. By tradition, maybe. By the scripture, there's no way that you can come to that conclusion. Man is corrupt, complete. His thoughts, his desires, his will, everything is corrupt. And so his inclination is towards corruption. John 3 they, men love darkness rather than light because they're evil. They're evil. And so he runs from the gospel and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. So really, in that regard, today's question is already answered. Man cannot freely of himself choose Christ and be saved because of his corruption. But let's look at some scripture to see what the Bible says about this topic. And let's settle it with a scripture. So in John chapter 6, verse 44, we can read this verse and this will settle the question on its own. We've got a lot more scripture we want to look at today, but this verse settles it. John chapter 6, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So that word can, if you have widely distributed and you can access for free online a Vines Dictionary, a Strong's Concordance and Lexicon, 
that will produce. You can see what the Greek word was that John actually pinned down, and you can see the definition of it. What's translated here as can is to have ability or to possess the strength to do it. So no man possesses the ability to come to Christ except there's only one way that man can come to Christ for salvation. And you know, people may say, well, he's not speaking of salvation. Well, he says here, I will raise him up at the last day. He's talking about those that he's going to resurrect. So of course, he's talking about salvation here. But no man possesses the ability to come to Christ except the only way a man can come to Christ and be saved is that the Father draw him. And now I, I realize, I realize that this is very controversial. But in the interest of understanding what the Scripture is, get your Strong's Concordance or go on Google and look one up for free and look at that Greek word that's there for draw. And you're going to find it interpreted in other places of the New Testament. They're going to draw Paul out before the people. They're going to draw him into prison. Now, do you think that they are standing there saying, come on, Paul, would you come out here and let us uh, judge you? Would you come on and get in the prison? Or, or are they compelling them? I tell you, they're compelling. And I believe that's what God's saying. Jesus is saying here, except a man. And that's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. Look up the word and know what the Bible says. God is, he's not wooing. He's not begging man to come. He's not pleading with man to come. Man can't come to Jesus except the Father draw him. Just as they drew Paul and Silas and cast them into prison. So, you know, I, I realize that's not liked. But study that word. That is what that word means to draw. In John 8.43, Why do you not understand my speech? This is a question that Jesus is asking of the people that are standing before him, hearing what he's saying, and yet unable to understand or comprehend it in their heart. Why is it that you do not understand what Jesus is saying, even because you cannot. Again, same word as in John chapter 6, to have possession of ability. Because you do not possess the ability to hear my word. He's not saying that they're deaf in the ears but we're talking about that spiritual ear in the heart. Remember, he's inwardly corrupt. He's inwardly dead is the way the New Testament describes that multiple times. So he does not possess the ability to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ on his own. If he's going to hear, now we've, we've only read two scriptures so far, but the question's already been answered. Is this a free choice or is this divinely influenced? And the obvious answer is if the influence of God is not acting on the life of a lost individual, they cannot come to Christ to be saved. They do not possess the ability to come to Christ outside of God taking action. God must act first before man is ever able to act. Not whether he will or not, but before he's even able to act, God's got to move. So, 
with that settled, and I believe that's settled in two verses, let's look at the rest of the Bible at a few places. And again, you can pause. You can go back and listen again. You can write down the scriptures and look at them yourself. You can go through them with me as we go through. Our desire is to get what the Bible is saying. Let's understand what the Bible teaches me. And let's believe the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 18 and 19. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. So what happened here? Well, Ephraim is bemoaning himself, and he says, You chastised me, and I was chastised. Turn me, and I shall be turned. And surely, after I was turned, I repented. Notice that God is not turning them after they repent. But notice that they are repenting and that they are ashamed after the Lord turns them. You're going to see it over and over and over again. We love him because he first loved us. God is the first one to act. And the move of man towards Christ for salvation is a result of the action of God that takes place first. If it was a free choice, free to choose, then God wouldn't need to influence me. I could freely choose it. But Scripture is going to be contrary to that over and over and over again. So there in Jeremiah, you see God turning them, and then they repent. In Matthew 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So what's the general consensus of who Jesus is amongst the world? Well, there's a varying opinion. Wouldn't you say that that's true today? Across our world, there's a great varying opinion of who and what the Lord Jesus was and what he did when he was here. Why is that? Because the truth is, man does not know him. So the Lord's now going to say, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now here is somebody that knows who Jesus really is. Here is somebody that can answer the question with a surety out of the heart. Peter knows the Lord. You're Christ. You are the anointed Messiah, the <coughs> Son of God, sent to this world to accomplish salvation. How did Peter come to that knowledge that no one else in Israel had? And don't take that and twist it. I realize there's there's a few more, but on the whole, would it even be 1% of Israel that knew who Jesus really was? I highly doubt that 1% knew. But how did Peter come to a knowledge that so many other people did not come to? Well, because Peter was willing 
because Peter was better. No, Peter was just like everybody else, fallen and corrupt. But Peter had God's influence. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, you are divinely favored of God. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. You did not come to this revelation through flesh and blood. I believe that applies in a wide variety of ways. It wasn't Peter's flesh and blood that figured it out of his own ability or knowledge. It was not the flesh and blood of people around him that taught him and instructed him and he learned it from them. Neither was it the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus standing right in front of his face because a pile of people seen him and a pile of people seen his miracles and a pile of people seen his works and did not believe him. No, this was revealed by the Father. The, the Bible says, but my Father which is in heaven. God the Father in heaven has opened your heart and caused you to recognize who I truly am. Look, Peter, at how blessed that you are that you are able to know what the multitude, the majority around you doesn't know. You came to that knowledge because my Father showed it to you. Now that's what Jesus, the Savior, says here. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we could say the doctrine of the Pope is gathered from this scripture. The Catholic Church says that it was on Peter that the Lord built the church. But I, I believe we've got a far better understanding of the scripture than that. We recognize that's a twisting of the scripture. He was not saying that, Peter, it's on you, I'm going to build my church. But it's on what Peter had. What did Peter have? Well, you could say he had faith. He had con a confession of Jesus. He had a knowledge of Jesus. He had all of those things. But I tell you what the church is built on. The divinely revealed Son of God. What's the church built on? God revealing to those who the Lord Jesus is. That's how the church is established. So in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Here's Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So here is a work that's got to take place. I believe you can see it in these verses. There's a work that's got to take place before I can see the kingdom of God, before I can perceive it. And there's got to be a work take place <coughs> before I can enter into the kingdom of God. I can't enter until this work has taken place. So what is the first thing that's done that results in the salvation of the individual? It's this new birth from the Father in heaven. So God must do a work before I can see and before I can enter into the kingdom of God. It's not I'm coming to God and then I'm born again but it's I'm being born again. There's a work of God going on in the heart that causes me to see, that causes me to understand, and that allows me to come to Christ because I don't have the ability outside of the enabling power of God Almighty. And neither did Nicodemus. Now notice this. Now John 3 verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So that fleshly birth, that's of no value in the kingdom of God. That's got no bearing on it. It's born of the flesh, 
and its flesh forevermore. There's got to be a new birth. A new work takes place that's born of the Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit of God bringing about this new birth in man. So how does the Spirit work? Through Jesus from the Father. So God's doing this work in man, and it lines up with John 6, it lines up with John 8, lines up with Jeremiah, lines up with Matthew 16. The Spirit is doing a work, regenerating and opening the mind, and it's that work that God is doing that brings me to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm being delivered from the corruption that I've been in my whole life, and God is allowing me to see and understand the truth of the Word of Christ. So listen now, John chapter 3, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. If you look up so, it means in this manner or in this way is everyone born of the Spirit. Now you can say I left out a word. If you'll look up these words in the Strong's, you're going to see. You just need to look it up yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe everything I say. Look it up for yourself and know what the Bible is saying. So how is this birth brought about? Well, it's, <clears throat> it's brought about by me coming to the altar. Well, is, is that how the wind comes about? Do I go outside and somehow the wind is activated? No, the wind blows as it pleases. The Spirit works the same way. He works as He pleases. So it's this birth that takes place in the inward man that draws man that compels man to the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So do you know why the princes of the world crucified Jesus? According to Corinthians, they did not know who he was. And if they had known him, they would not have crucified him. So wouldn't you say then that they are lacking what Peter had in Matthew 16? the revelation of the Spirit in their hearts. And you can say, well, that's your opinion. Well, it's going to be revealed in the next two verses, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Man doesn't know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Man's unaware. Man can't see it. Man can't perceive it on his own. But in verse number 10, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Why do we know? Why does the church know? Because God's revealed it unto us. And as Simon Peter was, <coughs> Jesus said to Simon, Blessed art thou. Can you not say, Blessed am I that God revealed his Son in me? Amen. And so, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, 
I, I want you to read that exactly as it's written. And I don't believe that the Holy Ghost messed up or that Luke messed up in writing it down. I believe this verse is written just exactly the way it's supposed to be written. The Bible does not say that they believed and were ordained to eternal life. The ordaining to eternal life is not because of their belief. It's the other way around. Their believing is because of the ordination of God. Read it one more time. Acts 13, 48. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Who believed it? The ones that were ordained believed it. Just exactly like in Jeremiah. When the Lord turns, you'll be turned. And when I was turned, I repented. So what's happening here? Well, as Jesus said to Peter, my father's revealed this unto you. The father is revealing. And they're believing. See, man can't believe of his own ability and power. Man's fallen and corrupt. God is doing the work and it's God that causes the belief. And it's the belief that causes life. So God is causing life in man by his power and by his grace. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They believed because they were ordained to eternal life. They were not. It, it, notice, it is not. Absolutely, certainly, by the scripture, it's not that they were ordained to eternal life because they believed. It is the other way around. That is, it's as plain as day in the Bible. That's the way it is. And, oh, I, I don't like that. Well, tough luck. That's the way that the Bible says. And so, again, in Acts chapter 16, verse number 14, you're going to see it again. Except now we're going to see it in an individual basis again. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended under the things which were spoken of Paul. Why did Lydia attend to the things that were spoken of Paul? Because the Lord opened her heart. Now you may say that I'm taking it a step too far, but I don't believe that's the case. If, if God doesn't open her heart, is she going to attend to the things spoken of Paul? Not by the scripture. The scripture's telling me that she attended because God opened her heart. The scripture's telling me that people are believing because God ordained it to be that way. The scripture's telling me that we know who Jesus is because the Father's revealed it to us. There are so many examples we could have looked at. Even the shepherds out of all of Bethlehem, Judah. The shepherds God revealed him to and they came and worshipped him and the rest of the city didn't know he was there. Why did the shepherds know? Because God revealed. Why didn't anybody else? Because God didn't reveal. Why did the wise men from a far country, why did they know he was there? Because God revealed. Why didn't Herod, who was the ruler of that area? Because God hadn't revealed. See, it's the work of God resulting in belief in man. 
And so now, we'll, we'll talk about that more as we get a little deeper into this. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 3, if you remember in the last study we did, we read the first couple verses here that we're about to read again, and I told you we would cover the rest of this later. So let's look now at the whole of this scripture. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So now we've got man in his fallen condition. He's corrupted. He's inclined to evil. He's blind. He's self-willed. He's under Satan's control. What has to happen to man in this state in order for him to be saved? Verse number six. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, the call back here, I believe anybody that reads that, that's familiar with the Bible, I believe they can see that he's going back to the very beginning in the creation of the world. God that commanded the light to shine out of darkness. There was no light. Darkness covered the face of the deep, and there was no source of light. But God commanded there to be light, and there was light in the darkness. So that's what he's referring to here. Has shined in our hearts. So the same God that said, let there be light in the beginning, said, let there be light in our darkened and corrupted heart. Remember, he says he opened Lydia's heart. Remember that he says that my father's revealed this to you, Simon Peter. Remember, <coughs> remember that he said, no man can come to me except the father draw him. Well, we're seeing it all coming together now. Here's what's happening. The gospel is being preached to these people that are in darkness and God is commanding light to shine in their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How does man come to this place? God commanded light to shine in the heart. It was not that we studied in college or in school or in Sunday school and that we uh, read our Bibles enough and eventually we figured it out. What could the world in the beginning have done to produce light of itself? It was powerless and destined to stay in darkness until somebody with power and the ability to produce light done something about it. And God said, let there be light. Well, there's man. Man is much like the world. He's in darkness. He's blind. He's under the power of the devil. And God commanded the light to shine in the heart and illuminated the man, revealed the truth of the Savior to man, opened the heart of man. Really, he, he was born again. God done a work of regeneration in the heart and man was now able to see what he could have never seen outside of the influence of God in his life. God shined in our hearts. Why do we see? Because God shined in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's another scripture we looked at last time and we left off and said we'll come back to it. Remember those first three verses of Ephesians chapter number 2 where man was dead in trespasses and sins. He was following the course of this world. He was under the power of the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature the children of wrath as others. We were in that state of darkness and corruption and sin and we were helpless and hopeless on our own. What's going to happen? But God, this is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Isn't that wonderful? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. What happened? When I was in that dead state, when I was separated from God, when I was under the power of Satan, not when I'd done something good, but while I was dead in sins, God quickened me by the Spirit. Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is what's happening. Why did we come to Christ? We couldn't of our own ability. We came because God, by His grace, He let the light shine in our heart. He revealed His Son in us. By grace, ye are saved. If you're saved, it is by grace. So if it's grace, it's no more of work. Otherwise, <coughs> otherwise, grace is no more grace. It cannot be unmerited and unwarranted if I did something to receive it. It can only be unmerited if I don't do anything to warrant it. So if I come to God first and then grace acts, it can't be grace then. It's God reacting to what I've done. But the Bible teaches it the other way around. I'm reacting to what God has done. Me coming to Christ in belief and in faith is a result of God illumining and uh, revealing His Son to me. By grace, you are saved. Verse 6, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God took me out of my sinful place and He made me to sit with Jesus Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus. Why? Well, I, I can't answer that fully, but I can tell you that here, the reason he gives here is so that in the ages to come, in eternity, if you'll have it, eternity in heaven, God can show the angels and can show the world and can show the devil Look at how gracious and merciful that I am that I saved this bunch of wicked people because of my goodness, not because they deserved it, but because of my kindness in my Son, Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So my faith, is not of, that means to originate. The faith did not originate in me, but God gave me the gift of that faith. See the source of all of this? Why did I come to Christ in faith? I was reacting to what God had done in my heart. So man is sinful. Remember, man is sinful because of the corruption that's in his heart. Man is outwardly wicked because he's inwardly corrupt. It's a cause and effect. So why is man coming to Christ? Because God is working in his heart. Why, is man why does man have faith? Because God is regenerated and give it to him. Didn't originate with me. Faith originated in God and it was God's gift. He didn't gift it to me because I was repenting and trying to do better of myself because I wasn't. There's none that seeks God. No, the reason I was seeking God is because he gave me faith. He He persuaded me. We, we say today in uh, in our part of the country and in our community, it would be said this way, conviction. Our people need to be convicted. And really, what we're saying when we say that, and it's perfectly true, God needs to convince them of their need 
of Jesus Christ. That's what conviction is. It is God convincing man of his need of salvation in Christ. And maybe that's very simplified, but that is, that's what we mean when we say that. So what's happening here in Ephesians? God's convinced. That word faith, it means persuasion, credence, or a conviction of religious truth. God has convicted us. He's convinced us of the truth. And because I now see myself and I now see the judgment and I now see my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, exalted through the work of God in me, my reaction to that is to come to Christ for salvation. And I'm coming because of what God has done. Not my free choice to come. I wasn't free to choose, but I'm coming because God has divinely influenced me in his kindness, in his mercy, and in his grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And I suppose that right here, this is one of the scriptures that persuaded me of what we now believe today. If all the other scriptures was not enough, and how beautiful it is as all the scriptures fall into place and you begin to see the work of God. But here it's not of works. It's not something I did. Period. It's not a result of my doing that I'm saved. It's by grace. And grace is unmerited, unwarranted, and unearned. Therefore, it cannot be produced from me. This is a gratuity, a gift of God. Again, Colossians chapter number 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So there are those that believe in a rapture of the church at the end of the age. Well, right here, and I, I don't believe that. We'll just go ahead and say that. But right here, this is the closest word that you're going to find to rapture in the scriptures. And he's not talking about at the end of the age here, but it's to seize by force. God seized us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. He rescued us from the fall of man and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we ought to give thanks to God for that work, the work that he did to save us. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Now, remember, we looked at Titus 3, 3 in the last study. There was man, he was hating, hateful and hating one another. He was following his lusts and desires. And again in verse 4, Titus 3, verse 4, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. So what happened first? Our faith, our washing, our regeneration, all of that takes place after the kindness of God. Not after I do something. I, I would that we could see that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I'm reading that straight out of the scripture. Titus 3, 4 and 5. Let's read it together. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, and, and we say, well, that it appeared to me after I came to God and repented, after I chose to come to Christ. No, not of works of righteousness, 
not anything that we had done, not anything that I'd produced, but according to His mercy. Mercy's unwarranted, unearned by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So this didn't come by my doing. Something I did did not produce this or cause this. But it was according to mercy He saved us and He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit of God. God done a work. And therefore, I came to God. So, Hebrews chapter 11, the, the scripture, the chapter of the patriarchs of faith. If first of all we take Romans 10, and we read that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And we understand what we've already looked at in John chapter number 8. Why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? And again, they weren't deaf. They didn't have the spiritual ability to hear and understand what Jesus was saying. So then we know that faith comes when God gives the ability for us to hear the word of God. So look at Hebrews 11 in the light of that knowledge. Why did Abel offer a more perfect sacrifice? It was by faith. God had persuaded him of what was right. Therefore, Abel did what was right. All of these works are by faith. It's not faith comes because of these works, but man is doing because of what God has done. Why did Enoch walk with God? By faith. Why did Noah build an ark? By faith. God convinced him that judgment was coming. Why did Abraham leave his home country? God spoke to Abraham and commanded him to get up and go. And you can go down through that whole chapter. Why did Gideon go to war? God had persuaded him of the victory. Why did all of these men suffer and were willing to die for the cause of Christ? Because Moses was convinced by God of a life to come and judgment to come. So you see, even through the Old Testament, man's service to God is nothing for him to boast in, but it is all by the influence and by the persuasion of God. And that's because man lacks the ability to choose the right thing. Man is completely corrupt. And so, in order for man to come to God by faith, God must influence a man through regeneration, through the work of the Spirit, through the persuasion of Christ, in order that he could hear and that he could come. Without God's work, nobody's coming. Do you see that? And God chose for the gospel, the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the means that this influence comes upon man. In Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission, verse number 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So Jesus says, Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Why is that? Why? Do we preach the gospel today? Because we were commanded by God to preach the gospel. And Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16, we all know this scripture, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So everyone that believes is going to come to that place of faith through the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I will proclaim that good news everywhere I go because I recognize that if anybody's going to believe, they're going to come to that through the power of the gospel. That's the means that God has chose to work, to draw, and to call man to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so, it was God's choice. It was God's pleasure to ordain preaching as the means that this influence, this persuasion, this conviction would come upon the heart of mankind. Anybody that's going to be influenced of God to be saved, they're going to be influenced through the gospel. That's God's choice and that's how God works. And so God commanded us to preach and we preach to every creature. But we recognize this, only them that believe are going to be saved. Well, who's going to believe? See, you talk about false accusations and I've, I've heard it multiple times that, that I don't believe in the whosoever. But here you see in all of these scriptures Whosoever believes, they're the one that's going to be saved. In John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. Who is it that's going to be saved and not perish? Whosoever believes. So now the question is that I would pose to you, who is going to believe? Yea, Anybody and everybody that believes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are certainly, surely going to be saved and delivered. And I believe that with every fiber within me. I believe that whosoever believes in Jesus will be saved. That's what the Bible says. But we recognize this also by these scriptures. Who's going to believe? Those that God persuades. Those that God draws. Those that God works on as we've looked in all of these verses before. We believed because of the call and the work of God. And so here's where the church is today. We're preaching the gospel to everyone with this understanding that only those that God calls will affirmatively respond to the gospel. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evil doer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. So Paul is in prison because of his preaching of the gospel. He's in prison for the gospel. And so he says, I'm in bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I'm enduring prison I'm enduring the beatings. I'm enduring the affliction and the persecution and the suffering because I recognize that God is calling his people through the gospel and I'm going to labor to preach for the elect's sake. And he's not talking about the elect that have come to faith in Christ already. But the elect that have not yet received the salvation of Jesus Christ. Just a few more verses down. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, 
but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, her adventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So it's not the servant of God's duty to strive, to argue, or to fight with man, to try to wrangle him (coughs) into coming to Christ, but the servant's to be gentle unto all, apt to teach. He's supposed to be able to teach and patient in doing so. I don't know why they can't see it. Remember, they're blind. Be patient with these people that are blind. They can't see it of their own ability. Be patient and teach them in meekness, instructing them that oppose themselves. See, they're against their own good and they're unaware of that. They're blind to that. Why should we do that, though? Why should I be patient and teach and preach and continue to do so? When the flesh would get frustrated and say, well, these people, they're never going to see it. Well, he says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Timothy, you preach, and you preach in season and out of season. You keep your patience, and you in meekness instruct them and recognize this, that if God grants them repentance, they'll respond affirmatively to the gospel. You do it because you don't know whether this Wednesday night, this Sunday morning, this Sunday night, God's going to call or not. You preach either way. And God will do the calling. And God will do the drawing. So, is salvation a free choice that I make that results in God doing something for me? Or is salvation a choice that's made under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. I think Scripture as a whole is quite clear. And the verse we started with, we're going to close with. Because of the fall of man, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It's not a free choice. Man lacks the ability to freely choose God. But God must divinely influence the heart of fallen man and draw them to Christ in order for them to have faith and be saved. I believe that that is what the Bible says. And I believe that it's backed up by the teaching of Jesus, by the Old Testament, and by the apostles. I hope that you'll prayerfully consider the Word of God. Go back through these scriptures. Look at them. Study them. Be sure of it. And I thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given me to be able to to speak to you just for a little while. Thank you for listening. We'll have one more study in this series, and it'll be titled, The Will of Man or The Will of God. And as we've answered the questions previous, that man is completely corrupt and not a free moral agent, Salvation is not a free choice, but it is one that has to be divinely influenced. 
so we'll see, is it by the will of man? Is it my determination to come to God? Or is it by the will of God? We'll look at that next time. Thank you and pray for us.